And stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of 2 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number... Now I want you to keep in mind the message in tongues and the interpretation as you hear what we're preaching about this morning. Before we uh, read the scripture this morning, let me just uh, make a couple of comments. Uh, First of all, let me encourage you, be back tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to have an incredible night of praise tonight, just focusing upon the goodness and the awesomeness and the incredible blessing of God, just worshiping and praising and just just uh, uh, just being in the presence of the Lord tonight. So I encourage you, be back tonight at 6 o'clock. See a lot of empty chairs. I know there are a lot of people sick. So you make a special effort. If you're well, you be here tonight at 6 o'clock. If you're sick, come tonight and get well. Amen? We believe in healing. Amen? Also, let me just encourage you, let me encourage you to be a part of Financial Peace University. Dave Ramsey and uh, this uh, financial uh, uh, 13 weeks, I believe, 13 week course. Let me tell you that, uh, you know, I I, I just uh, remembered a a few years ago, we had an evangelist here. His name is Richard Bolte. Richard Bolte was a pastor, a leading pastor, a pastor who built a huge church, but he got his church really big time in debt, and he just freaked out over it, and I mean literally freaked out over it, uh, to the point, to the point that he mentally was unstable, got a gun, went and held a rich man hostage, trying to get money to pay for his church. He landed in jail. His brother, who was an alcoholic, came to see him. And while his brother, who was an alcoholic, was visiting his preacher brother, who was in jail for holding somebody hostage with a gun and demanding ransom, during their visit, the chaplain came to see uh, Brother Richard. And his brother said to the chaplain, We don't need no help. (laughs) Richard looked to his brother and said, You idiot. You're an alcoholic. I'm about to go to prison for 40 years for, 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 you know, holding somebody hostage. And we don't need no help. But you know what? There's a whole lot of people. And many of them are Christians who can't pay their bills, who are head over heels in debt. But they say, I don't need no help. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And some of you think that your problem is your marriage, but really your problem is your finances. Because finances is the number one reason for marriage problems. Financial problems lead to marriage problems. So let me just encourage you today to get here. I don't care if you're 75 years old. You can still learn and still be blessed. And maybe you can find something to help your kids and your grandkids as well. Amen? So let me just encourage you to, to, to sign up and come. It's this coming Tuesday night right here at the church. It doesn't cost you anything. It's a, it's a, it's a preview class. It's free. And you come and uh, just see if maybe you want to be a part of it. I, I just believe it would be an incredible, incredible blessing. You know what? Uh, this is sermon number one, all right? <clears throat> we might have to take another offering if I preach two sermons. You know, I got married at 17. The only reason, you know, well, there's many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons that we made it as 17-year-old kids is we never got deep in debt. We never got deep in debt. 
Uh, and the reason was because I'm a tightwad. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the main reason. I can't imagine all of the things we went through as 17-year-old kids and 17-year-old pastors. How we made it, I don't know. But if, I, if we'd have had to fight financial, and we had financial problems, it wasn't the outgo of the problem, it was the income because I was making $15 a week. You know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Another sermon, all right? This is big. I mean, it's big. And you'll hear stuff. You've heard me say, you know what they say? They say the new broom sweeps cleaner. You know, a fresh voice sometimes you'll hear. Of course, I always say, if, you know, the new broom may sweep cleaner, but the old broom knows where the dirt is. Amen. <laughs> All right, let's get into the Word this morning. My wife's not here to give me dirty looks and keep me on track this morning, so I'm just all over the place. Second Peter chapter number 3 this morning in verse number 18. Remember the message in tongues and interpretation this morning. 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse 18. But grow in the, what? What did the message in tongues, interpretation, what was it about? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. This morning I'm using for my subject, becoming a person of grace. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Father, I just pray today, Lord, that you'll give us ears on our heart today. Lord, let us hear the word of the Lord that we need to hear today. And God, may we do something with the word we receive. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. You know, the longer that I live, the more I understand the need for grace. Now, grace in its simplest definition is unmerited favor. To receive something that you did not earn or deserve. We need grace. We need grace from God. Yes, we do. We need grace from God. But we also need grace from man. I don't know about you this morning, but I want to become a person of grace. Because I received grace, therefore I want to become a dispenser or distributor of grace. And in all honesty, grace is not necessarily one of my spiritual gifts. With my type A, choleric type, take charge, take the bull by the horns kind of personality, grace is not... My natural gifting. I've had to work on this. And and I want to tell you that I I do work on this. And I, I, I don't know if you know it or not. But I've come a long way in this area. And yet still have a long way to go. And so do some of you. Notice I use the word becoming. Becoming. I use the word becoming in my title today. You see, you never totally get there. It's a process. It it takes time, it takes effort, it takes focus, and it takes the help of God. So let's talk about becoming a person of grace today. Let's talk first of all about the example of grace. And, And we all know that Jesus is the greatest example of grace. Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, Jesus grew and he became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. John chapter 1 and verse 14, Jesus was full of grace and truth. 
And verse 17 says that the law was given through Moses, but grace came through Christ Jesus. So Jesus was and Jesus is our example of grace. And the entire time that he was upon this earth, he was a distributor, a dispenser of, of grace. You, you can just see grace oozing out of him in nearly every account of his earthly life. If you'll look in the, in the Gospels and you'll look at the life of Jesus, and if you'll look at it through the lens of grace, you will see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ oozing out of him in almost every situation. In fact, there are many things, many stories that you think of it, of it as this way or that way. But if you'll put, your, if you'll put your, uh, your grace glasses on and you'll look for grace, even though in some account you may think, well, this is, uh, you know, the example of humility or the example of, of something else. But, but if you'll put your grace glasses on and you'll, you'll discover that, 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 uh, that grace just oozed out of Jesus in just about every one of those accounts. When he turned the water into wine. You don't think about grace when you think about the story of Jesus turning the water into the wine, into wine, but when he turned the water into wine, he exercised grace. Because you see, it wasn't his problem. My wife's not here. Somebody's going to have to help me this morning. It wasn't his, it wasn't his problem. He's not the one that didn't prepare. He's not the one that didn't bring enough, enough wine. Uh, he's not the one that would be embarrassed. He's not the one that would have egg uh, on their face because they ran out of wine. It wasn't his problem. And it wasn't time for him to be revealed uh, in his power and in his deity. It wasn't time yet. But grace caused him to help. And he gave them what they did not deserve. How about the woman at the well, the, the Samaritan woman with a bad reputation? The Bible said that, that she had had five husbands and presently was shacking up. Jesus could have nailed her hide to the wall. But grace caused him not to. The same would be true of the, of the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery who was brought by the Pharisees to Jesus and they demanded that, that she be stoned. And she was guilty. She, she was guilty. And the law said she should be stoned. But grace said, Grace said, he who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And when all of the religious people began to examine their lives, and, and there they discovered sin in their life as well, they dropped their rocks and they walked away. And then Grace said, and neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wow, what a lesson that we need to learn here. Before we throw a rock at somebody else because of their sin, if only we would look on the inside, if only we would look in the mirror, if only we would examine our own life, we would see that we too have sin in our life, that we too uh, are not perfect, that we have flaws and, and, and problems and faults as well. You see, often we want to stone somebody for a lesser offense than we ourselves are guilty of. Too many people are like the skunk that criticized the tomcat for having bad breath. 
And I could go on and on and on this morning about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How about the leper that came to him? You see, by law, the leper was required to yell and scream and holler out, Unclean! Unclean! I'm unclean! By law, he couldn't get within so many feet of someone who did not have leprosy. And Jesus had every right to shun this leper. This leper, he had every right to have him arrested. But grace reached out and touched him. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Oh, Jesus, the example of grace. But let's also look this morning about the expectation of grace. The expectation of grace. John chapter 13 and verse 15. Jesus said, I have given you, given you an example to follow. Do. Say do. Jesus said, I've given you an example. Now do as I have done to you. You see, as followers of Christ, we are expected to be distributors and dispensers of grace. We ought to be looking for opportunities to be graceful. There are times when I go to a restaurant... But I tell the waiter or the waitress, I want to talk to the manager. And in a few moments, here trots the manager out. And when he comes to my table, I will say, I know you thought I called you out here to complain about something. Because I've got a job similar to yours. I'm sure you, you, you expected to receive a complaint from you, from me, because all you hear all day long is complaints. But I didn't call you out here to complain. I called you out here to tell you you're doing a good job. I called you out here to tell you that, that when I walked in your restaurant, it was clean. When I walked in your restaurant, somebody greeted me and, I, and they sat me at my table. I called you out to tell you that the waiter was friendly and, 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 and efficient. I called you out here to tell you that the food was good. I called you out here because, because I know you're always hearing all of the complaints. I want you to hear from somebody else, you're doing a good job. When I go to the hospital to visit somebody, if, if the doctor or if the nurse is in the room or anywhere around, I thank them for what they do. I thank the doctor. Thank you for what you do. I thank the nurse. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. You are appreciated. I, I, I appreciate what you do. When I pray for the patient, uh, oh, if the doctor and the nurse or either one are in my, in, in the room, I bless the doctor. I bless the nurse in my prayer. You see, I understand they hear all the negative and they hear all of the complaining. I want to become a graceful person, a distributor of grace. You say, Pastor, are you batting a thousand? Oh, no. Absolutely not. No, we're close. But I am determined, friend, to become a person of grace. Let me share some areas where we are expected to become distributors of grace. First of all, we should be a distributor of grace in our communication. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Let your conversation be gracious. Say gracious. Gracious. (laughs) Say it again. Gracious. Gracious. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. 
Now, I want to be kind here this morning. I want to be graceful this morning. But the truth of the matter is, so many Christians are not graceful in their communication. They're harsh. They're rash. They're crude. They say whatever is on their mind with absolutely no regard for who they might be hurting. Quick to make snap judgments and lash out at everything they don't like. They have an opinion on everything and must always give it, even when they don't have all the facts. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 141 and 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I've said this many times, it bears repeating, and when everybody begins to uh, do what I preach, then I'll go to something else. We don't have to say everything that comes into our mind. We can learn to practice kindness, tact, wisdom. I want to become a person of grace in my communication, but not just in communication, but also in my conduct. Oh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. I want to become a person of grace in my conduct. Let me ask you this morning, how do you conduct yourself? How do you conduct yourself? Are you known to be, a, to be hot-headed? Are you known to be selfish? Are you known to be judgmental? Are you known to be arrogant? Are you known to be rude and crude? Well, that's just who I am. No. Maybe that's who you are, but it's not who God wants you to be. I don't see rude and crude as a list of the spiritual gifts in this book. What are you known for? If someone were to describe you with just one word, what would that word be? Would they say you were a person of grace? Yeah, Pastor Houston, they would say that. Of you. What is your very first reaction when something negative happens? How do you respond when your child knocks over their glass of tea at a nice restaurant? Don't answer that. How do you react when somebody pulls you, pulls out in front of you in traffic? Did you forget three miles down the road back there what you did? How do you respond when somebody misunderstands something that you said or or when you get overlooked for a promotion that you deserved or or somebody cheats you out of some money? I don't know about you, but I want to become a person of grace in my conduct. I'm talking about expectations of grace right now. Just as Jesus was a dispenser of grace, as His followers, we are expected to do like. How about compensation? We should be filled with grace in our treatment of those who are under our authority. In Matthew chapter 20, the parable is told about a man that owned a vineyard. The Bible said that he went out to the marketplace and he hired laborers. To work in his vineyard, and he, he, he hired some laborers, he hired some as early as 6 a.m. 
And the last group that he hired, it was 5 p.m., 11 hours later. Only one hour left to work. And the Bible says that at the end of the working day, when it came time to pay them, that he paid them all the same. They all got a denarius. They all got the same wages. Those that had worked 12 hours got a denarius. Those who worked nine hours, those who worked six, those who worked three, those who worked one hour got the same pay as those that worked 12 hours. And those that worked longer were mad. They were angry at their boss because they bore the heat of the day and they worked 12 long hours and got the same pay as these jokers that showed up and only worked one hour. And if truth be known, most of us would feel the same way. It's not fair. I don't think it's fair either. I don't think it's fair. It was better than fair. It's called grace. I don't know about you, but I don't want what's fair. If I get what's fair, I'm not going to make it. I, I, can't, get, I can't get to heaven on fair. I can only get to heaven on grace. No, it wasn't fair. It was better than fair. It was, it was grace. It was grace. Amen. They received what they did not earn. They received what they did not deserve. Because of the grace of their boss, those workers who only worked one hour were still able to feed their families. And they were still able to pay their bills. Now hear me this morning. Please hear me clearly. I'm not saying that everybody ought to receive the same wages no matter how hard they work or what their job title entails. I don't want my staff to think I believe that. They want my pay, they got to get my job. They don't end at 5 o'clock. I'm not saying that everybody ought to get the same pay, no matter how hard they work or what job description they have. That's not what this parable is all about. I'm saying that I want to be a distributor of grace to those that are under my authority. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I want to bless them when I have the opportunity. I want to be less judgmental towards them. I want to be more of an encourager. I don't want to see just how cheap I can be or how little I can get by with paying them. I figured at least one of them would say amen to that. I want to use grace in my evaluation of their compensation. Notice one more area where we are expected to to be a dispenser of grace. How about even in conflict? In conflict, Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. I love, I love this verse. Paul writes, Romans 12 and 18, If it is possible, don't you love that? If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Notice the phrase, if it is possible. Say if. How many believe every word is, is, is ordained of God in the Bible? 
if, if, I love that. You see, you see, some people are impossible to please. Some people are impossible to satisfy. Some people are impossible to get along with. So Paul said, if it is possible. And then notice the next phrase Paul uses, as much as it depends on you. As much as it depends on you. But let me tell you something this morning. A lot of people use that as a way out. No, listen, much depends on us. Much. My dad used to say to his three boys when we would be fighting, which was most of the time. And when dad would come in to break it up or to discipline us, oh, and he'd see three fingers and everybody was pointing at somebody else. You know, it was his fault. Well, he started. Well, he said whatever. And my dad would always say to us three boys, he'd say, it takes two to argue and it takes two to fight. For us, it was usually three. (laughs) The length and the intensity of the conflict has much to do with us. Because you see, it's hard to argue with somebody who won't argue back. It's hard to fight with a person who apologizes instead of returning a blow. The wisdom writer wrote in Proverbs 19 and 11, Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrong. Recently I had an intense, ugly argument with an extended family member. Not my wife, not my kids. My extended family. God being my witness, I honestly do not think I did anything wrong. This family member said to me, I'm through with you, and hung up on me. I'm holding the phone in my head. I processed that conflict. The next day, I sat down and I wrote this personal letter. And I said, you said on the phone you were through with me, but I'm not through with you. And I wrote a two-page letter and I apologized for things God been my witness. I do not think it was my fault. I apologized when I felt like I was the one who deserved an apology. A few days later, I received a letter. And this person apologized to me. A few days later, I called this person who had earlier told me they were through with me and hung up on me, and we talked as if nothing had ever happened. This would not have happened if grace had not been dispensed. Please, this morning, please, I'm not trying to make myself look good. I'm not. I'm trying to give you an example this morning. I don't bat a thousand in this area. Nobody does. All right, we've talked about the example of grace. We've talked about the expectation of grace. Real quickly this morning, let's talk about the exchange of grace. The exchange of grace. 
Write this down this morning. Give grace and you'll get grace. I said give grace and you will get grace. You see, you can't throw the book at everybody else when they fail and then expect to receive grace when you fail. The law of sowing and reaping works in every part of our lives. I've given you many times the three laws of the harvest. We reap what we sow. We reap more than we sow. We reap later than we sow. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 verse 38, Give and you will receive, and your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together, and make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. Then the amount that you give will be determined. The amount, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The law of sowing and reaping. And, and it doesn't matter if you're sowing money, if you're sowing a kind word, a kind deed, if you're sowing forgiveness, if you're sowing grace, give. You give it, you're going to get it. You give it, it's going to come back to you. Whatever you dispense to others, others will dispense back to you. We're talking about the exchange of grace. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But, say but, but if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you you, your sin. I don't know about you this morning, but I need a boatload of grace. Both from God and from man. And if I expect to receive grace, I better be a dispenser of grace. Let's talk about the last thing this morning, about becoming a person of grace. And Let's talk about the extent of grace this morning. The extent of grace. You know, a moment ago I said that I need a, I need a boatload of grace. Well, the good news is that, that there's much, much more than a boatload available to me. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, God, or yeah, Romans 5 and 20, God's law was given so that people could see how sinful that they are. And as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Let's talk about three things about God's grace this morning. First of all, it's absolute. God's greatest grace is absolute. Grace, how many understand that grace is the trump card? Grace trumps or it overpowers everything else. Grace, first of all, is given for salvation. It's, it's called saving faith. Ephesians 2 and 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And I want you to notice this morning that it's not grace plus works. Verse 19 makes it very, very clear, not of works. Say not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Not grace plus works. Not grace plus Anything. But not only does grace give us saving faith, we understand that, we know that, we talk a lot about that, but here's something that we sometimes don't remember or haven't been taught clearly enough. It's not only that we are giving, given saving faith, grace for saving faith, but grace also gives us sustaining faith. Grace gives us sustaining faith. Yes, there's grace to save us, but there's also grace to sustain us. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, when Paul prayed for his thorn in the flesh to be removed and that he might be rid of it, God told him, my grace is sufficient. I think we heard that through the message in tongues interpretation a few minutes ago. Paul says, I'm tired of this thorn in the flesh. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being harassed. I'm tired of what's happening and going on in my life. God, would you please? And three times he prayed and asked God, would you take it from me? Would you remove it from my life? But God said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. My grace will sustain you. My grace will help you. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul writes to young Timothy and Paul writes and he says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through what? Through the word, through prayer, through praise. Yeah, all of those things. But here in this passage, Paul writes, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you. In Christ Jesus. Be strong through what? The grace that God gives you. Oh, grace is absolute. Grace provides saving grace. But not only does it provide saving grace, but it also provides sustaining, sustaining faith. But not only is grace absolute, it's also available. Hebrews 4 and 16, let us come boldly under the throne of our gracious God. Say gracious God. Oh, let us come boldly under the throne of our gracious God. Oh, there we will receive, say receive, there we will receive, oh, His mercy and we will find, say find, we will find grace to help when we need it most. Friend, grace is available to everyone. It's available at all times. Oh, grace is available whenever we need it. But not only is grace absolute and available, but it is also abundant. It's abundant. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 20. God's wonderful grace became more abundant. 1 Timothy 1 and 14. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord is. You see, God's grace is not limited, but it's abundant. He never runs out of grace for us, no matter how much we need. The question is not about God's grace this morning. The question... Is about ours. I said, there's no question about the grace of Almighty God. The question is about us. How much grace do we have? Peter thought he had a lot. Oh, Lord, how many times ought we forgive our brother when he messes up and comes against us? Seven times. I'm so graceful. I'm just so full of grace. I'm going to forgive seven times. Pat me on the back. Give me a plaque. Give me a trophy. You know, we criticize Peter for this, but truth be known, it's five or six times more than most people have. Five or six times much more than most of us have. How often should I be a dispenser of grace to somebody, Lord? Maybe seven times. She said, hey, Pete, why don't you try multiplying that seven by 70? <laughs> I can just imagine, because I know, you know a little bit about Peter, I can just imagine him going, I wonder how long it'll take me to get to that 491st time. 
You're not getting it, Pete. You're not getting it. He didn't say 490 times. Then the 491st time, you can let him have it. No. No, he was saying, be a dispenser of grace. Every single time. Every single time. If we could get the musicians and singers back in place this morning. Jesus was saying, dispense grace as many times as people need it. The question I have for you this morning is, what is the extent of your grace? What is the extent of your grace this morning? We've been talking about becoming a person of grace. Just as Jesus was a a dispenser, a distributor of grace, grace oozed out of Jesus' life. I just challenge you just to go back through the Gospels again. Put your grace lens on and look for grace. Because there are so many stories that we attributed to this or that or something. And, and yes, that's true. But if you'll put your lens of grace on, you'll find grace in just about every single account. The question is not about God's grace today. The question about us. Are we people of grace? Amen. I'm using the word becoming because you never get there. You never quite get there. And just about the time when you think you're there, slip. You mess up. Okay, I guess I'm not there. Pastor, you, a person of grace? <laughs> well, you should have known me 20 years ago. No, maybe you shouldn't have. Becoming a person of grace. Becoming like Jesus. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Just a couple of minutes this morning.